let's go ahead and look at the book of the Revelation. Chapter, uh, we're going to be in chapters 12 through 14. We're going to hop around a little bit. Um, if you, you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. The page number that we're on is in the bulletin. Um, the book of the Revelation is the, the undeniably weird end of the Bible. It, it, there's a lot of strange stuff in it. Um, I think we're doing a fair job of exploring it, but if you have questions or thoughts or, or comments or uh, things like that, don't be afraid to get in touch with us. Um, I, get, I get emails and, and, and Facebook messages and all kinds of stuff about, about when I preach, and I love to answer questions because that means that um, you're listening. Um, I get nervous when nobody has a question, especially if I, I preach a really controversial sermon and nobody says anything. I go home and I'm like, clearly no one was paying attention because I know not everybody agrees with me on that. Um, so I enjoy when people ask questions. I enjoy um, engaging with it and looking at things from different perspectives. And, and so, uh, so we're, we're really getting into this book and, and it is, we're not getting into any specific interpretation of it. Um, you know, oh, we're, we're, and there are all these labels, there's dispensationalists and there's tribulationalists and there's inside the tribulationalists, there's pre, mid, post, pre-wrath, um, A, you know, there's all these different labels that get thrown around in theology, theological circles. We're not going to get into all of those things. We're just trying to get what was the message to the people um, in, in Western Turkey, uh, what was called Asia Minor at the time, um, who were going through a difficult time, and God gives this vision to the Apostle John, this actually series of visions, um, and it's meant to be an encouragement to them. It's meant to show them something about Christ. The, the purpose of the, of the book of the Revelation, there's a twofold purpose. Number one is the exaltation of Christ, and number two is the encouragement of the church. So when we go to the book of the Revelation, we have to be careful. Whenever somebody goes to it and all they see is doom and gloom and destruction, or all they see it is uh, a reason to write a book about when Jesus is going to come back, all right, we have to be cautious about those people. Um, we have to be cautious about that. Now, I'm not saying that they aren't um, well-intentioned, but that's not the point of this book. That's not the point. The point of the book of the Revelation is not for us to know everything that's going to happen to everybody that's not me. In fact, that's the inverse of the gospel. Part of the gospel as it is revealed in the church and what, what the Apostle Paul calls the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the expansion of the definition of who is like me. It's the expansion of the question that was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? Part of the mystery of the gospel is that it is an ever-expanding scope of humanity. The Jews thought it was only for the Jews. The early Christians thought the Jews couldn't be saved. The Jews thought the early Christians couldn't be saved. The Apostle Paul comes at it, and the Apostle John as well, and says, no, 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 expand your perspective. Who is the, my neighbor? Who is like me? It's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's a message that we need to hear in our, our modern world that seems to be overcome with xenophobia and blaming groups of people based on their ethnicity and even their religion. We need to be cautious about that kind of stuff. Because the gospel is for all of mankind. And the flip side of that is in chapters 13 and 14. Remember that as we read this, the Apostle John is seeing things in a whirlwind. So things are happening all at the same time which represent both things that have been, things that are both, 
three things. All right, things that have been, things that are, and things that will be. Which, by the way, you ever notice that Jesus describes himself as the, the one who is, who was, and who shall be? All right. Um, so there's there's a, a perspective toward history and time that that Christ and God pervades all through that. So in chapter 12, we were introduced to this image of this woman. Um, and the woman um, is a lot of different things. And I, we, we talked about the fact that this is a, this is a pim- image of a strong woman, but the woman is uh, a representation of all the righteous people, the, the church, capital C, um, of all who have faith. And that out of that that woman is born the Christ. Um, is, is it Israel? Yes. Is it church? Yes. Is it, is it Mary? Yeah, kind of. Is it Eve? Yeah, kind of. All right. It, it's, it's all of these things. It's, it's meant to be a sign. It's not meant to be a specific person. It's an image. Um, and Christ is to be born. And there is a dragon. If you guys remember this, there's a dragon. Um, and the Greek word for dragon is really great. Dragon. Um, so there's a dragon, and that's where we get the word. Um, and so, so the actual English word is worm. Um, so, so the dragon is sitting there, and he's waiting to, he's waiting to devour the child um, that's going to be born of this woman. And then nature comes out and protects her. And then, and then in chapter 12, and because it's such a lengthy passage, I can't get into all of it, but, but in chapter 12, um, after the revelation that, that about this woman, there's, this, there's a depiction in, chapter, in verse 7 of a war that arises, all right, um, and it arises in heaven, and Michael, who is the leader of, of the armies of God, all right, is making war against the dragon, who is, who is called the deceiver, um, the evil one, the great serpent, in other words, this is Satan, this is the devil, this is, um, this is all, of the, all of those different words, Lucifer and stuff, they get wrapped up into him, this is the great evil one with a capital E, he is the dragon, and he's making war, he's got angels, and Michael's got angels, and there's a war in heaven, and Michael wins, and the dragon gets thrown out, and he gets thrown into the earth and the sea. Very specific at the end of chapter 12. All right, It's very specific, that, uh, and I'm going to grab where exactly it is. Who is called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world, the great serpent. Um, and then he makes war, and then in ver- chapter 13 and verse 1 begins his the war on earth. So the depiction, the war that was going on in heaven in chapter 12, the war on earth, what it looks like in chapters 13 and 14. Chapter 13, I saw a beast. Now I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit about this, but uh, the word beast is... In, um, in Greek is uh, something you have to kill because it'll kill you. All right, the, the, the word, um, the, the Greek word is used specifically for a dangerous game that was hunted, in, in, not in the Bible, but in Greek culture. So the idea of going on a lion hunt or a rhino hunt, they would have been described as beasts. All right, these are dangerous things that you have to be afraid of. Alright, so these are not just little, you know, little animals or, you know, cute little cutesy pictures, right? You you ever notice that Revelation is never in children's Bibles? Have you ever noticed that? Um, There's no way to make this cute, alright? The beast that I saw, right, the beast rising out of the sea, and there will be one that rises out of the earth, rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, 
ten diadems on its horns, blasphemous names on its head, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. You say, what does that look like? That's exactly the question John was asking. All right. When you have to make a description like that, you're looking at something going, whoa, that is weird. Um, and uh, to, to it, the end of verse 2, the dragon gave his authority and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight the beast, um, and who can fight against it. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed uh, by the dragon. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, and, is and that is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And then he makes a statement, and it's a statement worth hearing, and it's bracketed, so we need to listen to it. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. This is the encouragement to the church. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand everything about this first beast, but I can tell you that historically, the, the, the term that was used for this, this first beast is the Antichrist. Now this is used, uh, John uses the one that uses this term in some of his letters, 2nd and 3rd John, he refers to things that are Antichrist. Um, and, and it means the opposite of Christ, the, the, the negative Christ. All right, the, the contrary, the false, the less than. This person or force or power, and you say, which one is it? And my answer, as you've noticed in the book of Revelation, is going to be all of them. Um, it is specific people. It is also specific powers and influences in the world. It is the world system. It, I believe that in the end, at the end of the world, it will be manifest in a single individual, that this will be revealed just as Christ was one person. This will be one person, the capital Antichrist. And I can spend more time exploring that with you offline. Um, I just referred to church as an Internet site. Anyway, um, the, this, this thing... All right, this person, this anti-Christ, it, it, it looks like Christ. All right? It, it, has, uh, it has authority like Christ did. It. It, it has power. It's crowned. It's got a throne. It even has a resurrection. This is one of the heads were mortally wounded, but then it came back to life, and, and everybody worshipped it because it did this. There's a, there's a false resurrection that's involved in the identity of this Antichrist. Everything about it. Um, in fact, in chapter 14, the second beast, we're going we're gonna to look at that, um, you'll see that it also even has prophets and its own scripture. All right, this is the second half of chapter 13. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. So one out of the sea, one out of the earth. Uh, interestingly, there's um, 
You remember earlier in the passage, there was a, uh, an angel who had his feet on the, the land and the earth. That has something to do with the book of Genesis. If you think about the book of Genesis and where Satan's power bruises Christ, you can, you can meditate that upon that. But anyway, uh, I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. I'm amazed by the fact that John actually knows what dragons sound like. Um, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is... And this is not 666 as in a series of sixes. It is 666. Um, That's a very specific number. Don't you think it's a little odd that that's so specific? And ask me what it means. Go ahead. I don't know. All right, there, there, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of validity to a lot of arguments that are made about the number of the beast um, uh, it, that it calculates out, to, uh, calculates out to the name of Nero or, or uh, Domitianus, one of the Roman emperors. There's all kinds of fun stuff that goes on. All I know is there's a mark. Now, we've seen a mark before. Remember the rule of two. Anytime you see two of something, it's important. We've seen a mark before. All right, Those, the great multitude who follows the Lamb all the way back to the beginning of this in chapter 5, the great multitude that follows the Lamb receives a mark. They're sealed. In fact, the great judgments of, of the book of the Revelation can't be unleashed until they are sealed. So not only does this Antichrist have a, a false authority and a false throne and a false resurrection, he's also got a false prophet who's going around preaching a false religion He creates an image. That should be a warning right there because what do the commandments say about creating images of God? Don't do it. I shall make unto thee no graven image. I was like, well, I didn't make a graven image. It was a drawn image. Now, you all laughed about that. You know the difference between, one of the primary differences between the Roman Catholic images and the Greek Orthodox images is the Greek Orthodox Church said You can't make statues because those are graven images, so they do paintings. So there's little things like that that go on in theological circles that, oh, it's not a a statue, it's a a painting. There's there's stuff like that that happens all the time, over-literalism. I'm pretty sure graven image means any image of God. I could be wrong, but I'm not. Um, So so this, uh, this idea that he's creating a false image all right? And of course, what does human religion, when you read the, the Bible, human religion, every single time they want to tweak following God, they create an image. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and, and 
They don't know, the people of Israel don't know whether he's going to come back. They go to Moses' brother Aaron, and they say to Aaron, make us a picture of our God. Show us God. We want to see him. So Abraham, uh, so Aaron makes an image of God. Uh, later on, when the tribes of Israel divide up into two countries, the northern tribe, the king of the northern tribe, Jeroboam, the king of the northern tribes, is afraid that people will go down to the temple, where, of course, there is no image of God. There's actually a, a seat with nobody sitting on it. Um, there's, there's no image of God down there. He's afraid that people are going to go down to the south, and they're going to worship there, and they're going to think, oh, we should hang out with these people that worship the true God. So what does he do? He creates false images. Anytime human beings want to tweak the worship of God, they will create an icon, an image, an idol that you can see and touch and feel. So you can say, this is our God. In fact, that's actually what Aaron says when he makes the golden calf. If you read in the book of Exodus, he builds the golden calf, they unveil it, and he says to Israel, behold your God. So we've got all of this false, 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 false going on. But what has happened over and over and over again in this narrative. Have you noticed? All the people of the earth do what? They follow him. They worship him. They go after him. I'm going to tell you something about human beings you may or may not know. We human beings, we love power. And if we can't have it for ourselves, we love to follow those who have it. We love it. What wars, and some of you history people know this, some of you didn't even know we fought a war in Korea, but um, in the 1950s, uh, the commanding general of the United States military, in fact, the UN forces in Korea, was a, was a guy by the name of Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur had done tremendous things in World War II. He had, been the, he had actually been the, essentially the absolute dictator of Japan after the war, um, and he had controlled pretty much uh, the economy of East Asia, and he had been really, really good at his job, and so he was the commanding general when the Korean War broke out, um, I think 1951, I could be wrong, it's either 1950 or 1951. Uh, the war broke out, he was the commander. Um, the president at the time, Harry Truman, was so terrified of, Eisenhower, uh, of, of MacArthur's power, because everybody loved MacArthur. Now, MacArthur was a media darling. He was one of those guys that every word that came out of his mouth was a gem, you know. Um, he lands in the Philippines and he says, I have returned. And everybody talks about MacArthur. He just was, he was a master manipulator of the media. Um, uh, and, uh, and Truman was terrified. The guy was just going to use his power to c- control the situation, used an excuse, pulled him home, made him retire. And then he was terrified that MacArthur was going to run for president. Um, literally, you know, that the other major commander in World War II, Dwight Eisenhower, was going to run for president and beat him. So, um, so there's all kinds of fun stuff that goes on in history. Uh, but people are drawn to power. They love it. And so when this false prophet shows up and he's preaching the gospel of this false Christ, and there's power, what does everybody do? They flock to him. They flock to him. Millions, billions of people overcome their differences to worship the false Christ. Now, there are historical precedences about what was happening here in terms of empire, emperor worship in Asia Minor was a big deal. They worshiped the Roman emperor as a god. 
um, and it was their single unifying faith. Christians would not do it. Um, that was one of the reasons they were accused of being non-patriotic. It's always ironic when Christians are accused of being unpatriotic. Um, it's like being accused of being atheists. I mean, that's just part of who they are. But there's this end time thing that's going on, right? But there's also this thing that goes on every day. I could point to a thousand antichrists in our culture. A thousand false religions with their own false prophets. Some of them even masquerade as Christianity. This is something that happens every day. And although I could get into all kinds of different stuff with this, I just want to distill all of this, a couple of practical thoughts, if you don't mind. Number one, it's this. The dragon's modus emperendi, his MO, Satan's big weapons are to fake and to cause fear. Think about the fact that the best trick that the dragon can pull off in chapters 13 and 14 is to make a false Christ. The best thing that Satan can do is to emulate what God is doing. That's how unoriginal he is. That's how uncreative our enemy is. He is not some mastermind genius. You say, you can't say that about Satan. Sure I can. He is a single-minded, envious, obsessed, evil being who has no originality and doesn't need any because he can manipulate human beings just by giving them a fake Christ. It astounds me that people would worship a false god, would go after this, when, when I realize that you can't pull a fake on a kid. Have you ever had a kid with a stuffed animal that fell apart or got forgotten and you tried to replace it? Or a goldfish? And you got the identical thing. It was, it was precisely the same. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody here has ever done this, but like, you know, your kid's got this old beat up, animal and it's all dirty and ratty and falling apart and and so you go okay well here's our here's what we're gonna do we're gonna get the exact same thing we'll get a little dirty we'll run it through the washing machine they'll never know the difference right and you hand it to and the kid goes what is this false prophet where is my sheep all right where is my i mean we ariel had when she was little she had this penguin perry the penguin this blue penguin she still has it. He still sits on her bed. Um, he lived on a purple iceberg with his mother's father's 15 brothers and sisters, Shuri and Stan, all right, and the, the Baquita, the polar cow. Um, there's a whole story that goes along with that. Uh, but anyway, um, so she had this penguin, and we were terrified because his, his flippers started to rip. The seams started to rip. So we were like, we got to get us a backup Perry. Well, she bought Perry in a building, the Building 19 on Hanover Street in Manchester, um, in fact, Perry followed her around the store. There's a long story about this. Um, there were no other ways to get this Perry. Perry was one of a kind. Perry was dropped from heaven like manna. There was no way we were reclaiming Perry. So we took extraordinarily good care of Perry. Um, we still do. Perry will eventually get enshrined in a vacuum-sealed inert gas box so that, so that he can be passed on to, to future generations of crazy DeVitros. Um, you know... When kids can't be faked out, you ever had 
like a superhero or something come to your party, come to a birthday party, and look, it's Spider-Man. That's not funny. No, it is. Climb a wall. I mean, kids kids are not faked out. They, they don't get, and yet we get faked out all the time, don't we? Somebody says to you, says, I'm about to tread onto dangerous territory. I will bring you change. That'll work. Why not? We're going to make America great again. i got to be equal. When did it stop being great? See, this is the thing, that, that, and I'm not nitpicking on President Obama or Mr. Trump. Um, I'm not... I'm not identifying them as false prophets. I'm just saying, I'm just, that's a rough sermon. Um, That's a moment to go back on. Uh, All I'm saying is we are so easily deceived that Satan doesn't have to be original in the way he does it. For the entire existence of the human race. It should be so simple for us to be faithful to our spouses. And yet for in the entire existence of the human race, Men and women have been trying to find ways to get out of the marriage covenant. Why? Because we are so easily deceived. Satan doesn't need to come up with new tricks. He doesn't need to come up with new ways to manipulate us. He has no originality. He has no creativity. There's only one supernatural being with the capacity to create new things. And he already done it. There's only one supernatural being who has the power to save. And he does it for all who call on him. So Satan's got stuck with just being the most unoriginal. He is the most dangerous, unoriginal being in the world. Because of who we are as humans. We are easily misled. We are manipulated by false prophets. Why? Because of his second weapon. Fear. Fear drives me to worship a false god because the true god may be too terrifying. A god that I can manipulate into giving me what I want is a lot less terrifying, although terrifying, than a god who has absolutely nothing you could give him to persuade him. A God who I can see, an image of the beast. Hello, I am the beast. All right, um, little little puppet beasts. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know what the image of the beast is going to look like. You know, I, I really don't know. But exactly. I am the beast. Take the mark. <laughs> so, so, um, boy, oh boy, oh boy, did we get sidetracked with that? But the the reality is. Something, an image that I can manage, that I can talk to, and it responds back to me and tells me, am I doing the right thing? Ask later. Did I ever get te- ever tell you guys about the magic eight ball Jesus? <laughs> I told you about this. When I, I, I'll, I'll post a YouTube video. I'm sure that Doug will find it and link it to the to the message. But but um, Dan Kimball, who's a pastor in Santa Cruz, California, he talks about one day he he walked into some one of those stores and there were these little pink Jesuses and the pink Jesuses had like the magic eight ball underneath them 
all right, and you, you shook the little Jesus and asked him a question, and then an answer would pop up. And it was things like, it was things like, smite thee, and I'll, I'll ask my dad. And, and I mean, stuff so, so like that. Stuff so like that. You sit there and go, how insane is this? It's because an image is easy. An invisible God who cannot be depicted, who demands that we worship him, even though we cannot see him, A God who says that His Spirit is like the wind. You can see its effects, but you can't see the wind itself. A God who says, follow me. And you say, where are we going? And He says, I'm not going to tell you. You just follow me. A God who one day is having a meal with Abraham in His his tent. That's in the book of Genesis. He actually sits down and they they have a meal together. And the next day is telling Abraham, or a a few decades later, is telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um... When, when we see those kind of things, we say, what, what is going on? Well, of course, that, that God terrifies us. He terrifies me. He should terrify us. You are righteous, O oh God. You are of pure eyes that you cannot, withhold, you cannot even behold sin. The prophet said of him, His train in Isaiah chapter 6, his train fills the temple and Isaiah is overwhelmed. I mean, John spends the first three chapters of of the book of the Revelation with his face on the ground until Jesus tells him to get up because he is terrified. So a false god just has to use fear to get you to follow him. A false prophet just has to tell you, well, you don't want that mark, you want this mark. It's a little easier to do with this mark. See, the mark you get from the Lamb, back in Revelation chapter 5, you get, you get the mark from the Lamb. That doesn't really do anything for you. All it does is let us know who you are. But if you take this mark, you notice what this mark is for. They're able to trade. They're able to pass freely through the borders of the land. Isn't that great? Isn't that what you want? Why be so terrified of this real God when you could have this false God? He's such a better God. He's such an easier God. And yeah, he's scary and he can consume you with fire and destroy you. And oh, by the way, he's powered by a dragon. But it's better than that invisible God you can't see and can't control. See, here's a God you can worship. That's a God you don't want to worship. This is a God you do want to worship. This is a God you're terrified. This is a God you're only a little peril. Oh, just a little peril. It's just not that dangerous to go before this God. All you got to do is do what he asks you. Now, why was this important to these first century Christians? Remember that the emperor worship was significant in their day. And in order to serve, in order to get to escape the punishment, all you had to do was go into the temple of the emperor, uh, the emperor God, the divine emperor. All you had to do was go into that thing, throw a little incense on the altar and pronounce him to be a God. You didn't even have to say he was the God. You just had to say he was a God and that was good enough. And the Christians wouldn't do it. And the Romans are sitting there, they're actual letters going back and forth between the governor of Asia Minor and the emperor at one point in the first century going, I don't know what to do with these Christians, why won't they just do it? And the emperor comes back and goes, well, if they won't do it, go ahead and kill them. I mean, this is a casual conversation between two friends. Uh, it just blows my mind. We prefer the false prophet. You need to, you need to grasp this If you get nothing else out of this, grab this one note. Serving the true and living God will never be the majority opinion. 
among sinful man. Because man in his natural state is always going to prefer false gods to the true God. Don't expect that Christians will be the majority voice. That following the Scriptures will be the majority voice. It's never happened in history, and I don't understand why it would happen now. That's why when somebody says to me, oh, but he's such a popular teacher. Oh. What does popularity amongst human beings mean? Absolutely nothing. It does not validate somebody's teaching method. It doesn't matter how wildly popular a book is, if it contradicts the scriptures, it's wrong. You say, well, you can't say that. I just did. And I will continue to say it. To follow the one true God is never going to be the voice of the majority of sinful man. Now, within the, the, the journey of those of faith, hopefully, prayerfully, it is the voice of the majority in the church that we conform to Christ. But what does the true church represent in terms of its relationship to the population of the world at any one given time? Those who are truly following Christ. I would hazard to guess that it is a number so low it would dumbfound you. There are plenty of people who say they are Christians. There are plenty of people who go to things that are called churches. There are plenty of people who say that they have a deep-seated faith, but then whenever there's something about the God they claim to worship that doesn't fit with the way that they want to live their lives, they create a little false God over here. And Satan, in all of his unoriginality, is more than willing to give you a convenient God. That's all the Antichrist is. A convenient God created by an unoriginal evil. Blows my mind that that's good enough. That that's good enough for some folks. That's all right. That's a good enough God for me. But it's false. It doesn't line up with Scripture. That's okay. I tell you the number of times I've said to somebody, I said, but this is what the Scripture says that you should do. And they go, yeah, but... Yeah, but... I want to do this. Yeah, but the Bible says, and you said that you were a Christian, and, and Christians conform to the Scriptures, and this is what the Scriptures say. Yeah. Whereas I'm over here going, losing my mind, trying to make sure that I'm in conformity with the Scriptures. I mean, Mike said to me, I don't know where he got this from. This past weekend, he said to me, you're the biggest cynic I have ever met. I'm not cynical. Am I? Oh, I'm, I am. I absolutely am. Uh, I'm cynical, mildly sarcastic. I came away from that going, he asked me a question. It was a great question, a great statement he made. We were just sitting there having lunch, and he, he made this statement to me, and I... I immediately then go to the Bible. I'm like, I'm like, am I just trying to look at my natural tendencies and, and how do, does this conform to the scriptures and, and where does this come from? I'll tell you where it comes from later. Another message. Just remember this. 
The voice of God is heard by who? We read the, go- the Gospel of John earlier this morning. What did Jesus say? He said, you haven't believed because you are not my sheep. Because my sheep hear my voice. Not the voice of the image of the beast. They hear my voice. It is my hope and my heart that as your faith and your, your spiritual journey takes place, and we're all at different stages of our faith, but as you're going along and you hear the voice of Christ, and you recognize that you've been listening to a false voice, you just go ahead and jump track and follow Him. And you may not do it perfectly. None of us do. But we, we hear the voice of our shepherd and we go, whoa! Have you ever, ever done that? I'll close with this because I've already run over time. Um, how many of you remember being a little kid? How many of you ever got lost in a, a store or something as a little kid? Does that ever happen to you? All right. I remember very distinctly as a kid, I was not one to pay close attention to detail as a kid. Um, it had to be to do with being heavily medicated. Again, story for another time. Um, I was walking along through a grocery store one day, looked up and realized that the person I was walking alongside of was not my mother. Now, I don't know what bothers me more, the fact that my mother didn't notice or that this lady didn't notice this strange child was walking along holding her cart. Either way, the second I realized her, that was not my mom, do you know the first thing I did? Now, for some children, the first thing to do would be lay on the ground and start screaming. You know the first thing I did? I listened. And I listened not for my mother's voice, but for my sister's voice. Because she has not stopped talking for 37 years. I listened my, for a voice I recognized. And then you know what I did? I went to that voice. My father used to be able to be on the other side of the Phillipsburg Mall in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. And he would say, DeVitro's. And we would hear it. Now, I'd had to alert the people around him, but we would hear his voice. We would hear the snap of his fingers if we were in a friend's house. And we knew immediately that was the summons to come back to him. And that's what we did. Because otherwise he'd leave without us. My father is also a cynic. Um, When we hear the shepherd's voice, we go to the shepherd. And sometimes the voice is faint because without thinking about it, we've been distracted listening to another voice. It sounded like his voice was pretty similar to his voice. It was okay. We were all right. And then suddenly we hear his voice. And we should be immediately drawn to his voice. Because let me tell you something. There are false gods out there. And the evil one who is very unoriginal knows how easy it is to draw us aside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are honored to be your people and we are flawed we are easily distracted and in revelation we see millions and millions billions of people following a false prophet and it is our heart and prayer that we hear your voice and that we not follow the voice of the unoriginal evil no matter how dangerous and fearful he might be Lord, help us to choose to hear Christ's voice. Pray this in Jesus' name.
My brothers and sisters, I had a song planned, but I, I talked too long, so let's just go ahead and be dismissed. Go in peace and grace and truth this morning and be the church of Jesus Christ.